Welcome to Talk is Jericho. It's the pot of thunder and rock and roll. And what do you say we start things off today with the patented, highly anticipated Duff McKagan joke of the week? Chris Jericho, Duff McKagan calling you. Hope everybody's good there. You know, uh, I, I just thought of this. Um, how many uh, tickles does it take to tickle a octopus? Well, obviously, ten tickles, right? Well, an octopus only has eight tentacles. So the first two are test tickles. Thank you very much. Goodbye. Wow, I'm not sure I even get that one, but uh, <laughs> thanks to Duff for sending them every Friday. And congrats to all of us at the Winnipeggers. Episode 30 just came out last night on my Facebook page and YouTube channel. We made it to episode 30, and to celebrate, we're doing hot or not rock stars. We ran down our lists of both. If you want to know which list some of these guys landed on, you got to watch the Winnipeggers. We're talking about Ronnie James Dio, Burton Cummings, Jim Morrison, D. Snyder, Axl Rose. We got a bunch more. It's a hilarious episode of the Winnipeggers. New episodes every Thursday on my Facebook page and YouTube channel. Come check out the hottest new YouTube show in the world today. Well, at least in our minds, we're drawing thousands of viewers a week and we're having thousands of laughs as well. So come hang out with us. It's a lot of fun. All right. Right now, all about UFO sightings, close encounters, alien abductions, Area 51. I know you guys love this subject. And we've got Ryan Sprague, the host and lead investigator of Mysteries Decoded on the CW Network, the author of Somewhere in the Skies, a human approach to an alien phenomenon and host of the Somewhere in the Skies podcast on the show here today. He's sharing some incredible UFO stories. He interviewed hundreds of people for his book, investigated multiple locations where aliens and UFOs were sighted, and he's talking about what he discovered from sightings in the ocean to weird phenomenon at a local movie theater in Ohio to astronauts' unexplained experiences in space to the Navy pilots who came across tic-tac-shaped flying objects during a training mission. Ryan's sharing all of these incredible stories. He's also talking about the government's recent decision to acknowledge and investigate the existence of UFOs and how that's changed over the years and what it means for the immediate future. Yeah, things are really uh, moving in a high gear when it comes to that. So here we go. Extraordinary stories about extraterrestrials and unidentified flying objects with Ryan Sprague starting right now on Talk is Jericho. All right, so uh, as we all know, our paranormal shows, very popular here on Talk is Jericho, so always looking for, for new uh, guests and new ideas and new topics. We have Ryan Sprague, who is the uh, host of um, Mysteries Decoded on the CW Network, Roswell Mysteries Decoded on the CW Network, so I would say you're almost kind of an expert in the field, Ryan. <laughs> Thanks, man. Well, that means a lot coming from you, but um, I don't think anyone's an expert in these topics because honestly, man, I don't think any of us know what the hell is going on, but uh, I'm, I'm trying. I'm trying, and it's, uh, it's been a journey for sure. So how did you get involved uh, so much? Uh, obviously, you have some passion for this because you are hosting shows and you, you've written uh, a killer book on uh, – we've probably written a few books, but the one we're talking about, of course, is, 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 is somewhere in the skies – about uh, lots of different UFO exciting experiences and that sort of thing. But so what got you into the, the into all this? Yeah, I mean, I had a, uh, a UFO sighting. That was kind of my origin story. I was really, uh, yeah, yeah. I was twelve years old. I was uh, fishing up in central New York. Um, originally from Syracuse, New York, and um, I was on a summer getaway with my parents and 
I'm fishing. It's turning dark. So I'm reeling my line in for the night. And, uh, you know, I was listening to Green Day on my Discman at the time. So that brings mm-hmm. you back to the, the mid-90s right. or so. And uh, I could see lights in the water as I'm reeling the line in. So I kind of, you know, bend over, look down, and yeah, I realize, oh, it's, it's a reflection. So I look up, and there it was, man. It was just uh, three white lights in a triangular formation, kind of this hazy red light in the middle. It was what a lot of people consider these prototypical triangle UFOs. But, uh, you know, I didn't, see no, I didn't see a machine or a structure. I just saw the formation of lights. But uh, it was hovering silently above me, and um, I didn't know what to do, man. I, I was scared. I was excited. Um, I ripped my headphones off, throw them down the dock, and again, all I could hear was like the water hitting the dock. So whatever this thing was, it was just floating. It wasn't, you know, wasn't a typical airplane or anything like that. Uh, and then my father actually came out, saw this thing with me. So uh, I had someone to corroborate that I wasn't crazy, and we just watched it float over the water and head towards Canada, which was actually right on the other side of the St. Lawrence River that I was fishing off of. So, What you don't know is Canadians are all aliens, Ryan. So there you go. <laughs> I figured you it was us. one of yours. <laughs> I figured it was one of yours, man. But, um, you know, it was a very polite UFO. I'll give you that. <laughs> so that makes sense. <laughs> Take us to your leader, please. Please. <laughs> L- let me ask you a question because whenever people see these sort of things, they always kind of refer – whenever they – make it public it's it's a water balloon or not water but a weather balloon with whatever the hell a weather balloon is or it's a you know it's it's a, some sort of just an airplane or whatever it may be uh did you guys have any like try and rationalize what you had just seen absolutely i mean immediately my father you know he being the fatherly figure he's trying to like calm me down and give me an explanation like a like a dad should but mm-hmm. he kind of stood there dumbfounded which really told me something like oh man even my own father can't really right, explain right, what's right. going on to me but yeah man we started ticking off the boxes or like maybe it's a blimp maybe it's some um uh top secret thing the the military's testing out there but i mean there was no military bases within like a hundred mile radius so we don't know you know we never figured out what it was we asked the uh the motel owner where we were staying that night you know are there ufos in this area and he said yeah we get reports sometimes but uh i i never figured out what it was you know sometimes i still have dreams about it to this day but uh yeah man it sent me on this path to try to find answers and um it's been a crazy, crazy journey. I can tell you that much. Well, and once again, it's interesting because whenever you have something like that, that happens, like I had um, a, a time displacement happen to me. Uh, is that what it's called? The official word where, you know, you're supposed yeah, to yeah. Yeah, take off in your car to drive home in the middle of nowhere. And it's supposed to take 45 minutes. And four hours later, I finally arrive home and have no idea what happened. You know what I mean? Like, so. Wow. Yeah, I, I've had that. And, and, and once again, I'm not saying that anything happened, but something happened and I wasn't, you know, on drugs or, or, or drunk or anything like that. It was just one of those very strange things. So as a result, amongst other things, I've always had a real affiliation, a real interest in UFOs and, and all things paranormal, but specifically UFOs as well. So you're taking this experience and making a career out of it. 
and and learning as much as you can um, as a result of this experience. So I'm sure that's kind of led what led you to write write the book in the first place. Yeah, I mean, in 2016, I wrote the original edition of right. the book, and you know, I was kind of new to it, man. I I'd done some quote unquote journalism before that for websites and stuff like that, but I I wanted to contribute something new to this conversation about UFOs, and you know, every book I was reading was just the same stuff over and over same cases same uh you know dates times description of a craft and that's cool but i i always felt there was something missing and um i actually come from the the theater world i live in new york city i work on broadway and i was trying to think you know like what could i what could i do different with this so i i went back to my playwriting days of you know focus on the person the character you know what we see plays and movies because we're being dropped into these people's lives at the most pivotal moment, you know, something that changed them. Right. So I wanted to implement that into my UFO work. So that's when I decided to go around the country and, and interview people in all walks of life about their UFO encounters, how it changed them, how it impacted them. Uh, you know, did it change their belief system? What did uh, what their wife think of what they saw or their their barista at the coffee shop. So yeah, man, I really wanted to focus on the people having the experience and how it changed them and what that might tell us about these, I think, uh, multi-phenomena that we're dealing with when it comes to UFOs. All right, Ryan, let's get into some of the stories uh, that you've read, read about, heard about, you know, investigated and all those sort of things that, that are included uh, in the book. Yeah, so in the book, I mean, I probably interviewed around 300 people or so I had to, uh, yeah. And that was just the beginning. I mean, I had to even narrow that down to maybe 40 or so that you'll see in the book. And uh, there are definitely some stories that stick out to me uh, that I'm still investigating up until today. One of the ones I thought you'd find really cool was uh, this guy back in um, 70, this is uh, 74, 1974. Uh, This guy, Scott, you know, former army reserve, postal service worker. Uh, He was at a drive-in theater with a buddy of his. They were going to see a movie and they're waiting for the movie to start. And then, uh, you know, the, the movie screen just goes black all of a sudden and all the lights in the the drive-in theater just shut off. So it's like close encounters starting right here. Mm -hmm. And uh, he said this huge Chevron shaped craft started floating over the, the movie screen and over the parking lot. And he said it covered the entire parking lot, man. So it was huge. No appendages, no windows, no lights, just a solid black thing uh, floated over. People tried to start their cars. They were scared. Uh, nothing happened. No one's cars would start. So it was pretty crazy. And it just floated over, disappeared into a field. All the lights came back on. The movie started. And so I'm thinking, man, these people probably want to get out of here or like go and talk about what the hell just happened. And nobody did, Chris. They just, Hmm. uh, they, you know, Scott got out of his car, went to use the restroom, waited in line. Nobody talked about what just happened. So that blew my mind. I'm like, is, was this some sort of instant amnesia of this event happening? Um, Was everyone just so in shock and awe that no one wanted to talk about it? But then everyone just sat and watched the freaking movie and they didn't talk about it after it happening. And I asked Scott, I'm like, well, like, was there missing time or time displacement or something? And he said, dude, I didn't remember this thing for years after. 
until he saw like a UFO book, a cover, it triggered his memory and this thing came back. So I was, you know, I was cautious when I heard that because I'm like, all right, hundreds of people were there, but you're the only one telling me this story and uh, no one else can really corroborate it. Mm -hmm. So for years after I wrote the book and heard his story, I tried finding people, you know, I tried to find the drive-in. Of course, it's gone at this point, but um, nothing. So he was, you know, he felt the pressure of having this thing on his shoulders, no one believing him. I wanted to find other witnesses. I couldn't. And then uh, the new book that came out, uh, I updated that chapter with Scott. And dude, I'd say maybe four or five months ago, a woman reached out to me and said, my boyfriend worked at that drive-in. And uh, we think we saw the same thing a town over in Ohio where this happened. So boom, right there. We had another witness. This wasn't just on this one dude's shoulders. And it changed his life, changed his life. It's interesting you hear that quite a bit, that when there's an encounter with a, with a craft, that all the other electricity kind of goes dead. Like you mentioned, all the lights went out, the cars wouldn't start. Is there any reasons for that? Your guess is as good as mine. Mm-hmm. I mean, yes, I've compiled case after case of this happening. I go back to the early work of someone like, you know, Jacques Vallée. Uh, This guy's saying stuff like, these UFOs could have some sort of control system built in, whether it's uh, messing with our perception of how we're seeing them or uh, our memories of it happening. Uh, You have to wonder, and this goes back, you know, decades, even centuries of people describing these UFOs differently, even though they seem to be looking at the same thing. Uh, There's a woman in Michigan that I spoke to who had a triangular UFO sighting with her younger, with her daughter And uh, they're staring up at this thing. And the mother said, you know, she was in awe and it was uh, euphoric. And then she looks over at her daughter and the daughter's on the ground covering her ears saying how silent or sorry, how loud this thing was. The mother said it was completely silent. So they're having completely different perceptions of supposedly looking at the same thing. So I don't know, man. These things seem to be so far advanced and uh, mystical, I would say that uh, they can control whatever the hell they want. They can go wherever they want. They don't care about our nation's borders. They don't care about, you know, the physiological effects or mental toll they're taking on these people seeing these things. They're just doing what they want. Kind of looking through through the book and seeing some of the different um, stories and ideas and thoughts I picked out a couple of them that were very interesting to me. And one of them is, is the Carlos de Santos case. Yeah. Yeah. That's a good one. Let's go through some of the specifics of that one. Cause it sounds pretty, pretty creepy and crazy. Yeah. So this one, um, this happened to a guy who was flying um, in Mexico and he's up there. He's a commercial pilot and it kind of goes back to one of the first flying saucer events, the Kenneth Arnold sighting, where the term flying saucer was basically coined. This guy said he saw these things and they looked like they were saucers skipping off of water and that ushered in the flying saucer craze. But um, with this guy in Mexico, he, uh, he's flying and he sees these things come, you know, start tailing his plane. And there's one, two, three of these things completely typical saucer shaped and they start to surround his plane one under the bottom two on the side and he's freaking out so you know he gets on the radio starts telling the uh the closest faa tower that he could get like 
uh, I, I'm being, something's happening here. I don't know if like I'm being attacked or invaded, but these, these saucers surrounded him. And then the one on the bottom, Chris, actually hit the bottom of his plane and sent him into a controlled spiral. Jeez. So I don't know if they meant to do this, man, if they were hostile, if this was happenstance, why they were there in the first place. But if you, if you actually like YouTube this, there's audio of his communication with the tower while this is happening. And it is scary as hell, man. You can listen to this guy's voice being like, I'm being, something happened. I'm being attacked by something. I'm, I can't control the plane. And he, like I said, he starts going into a controlled spiral. And then the UFOs, supposedly, according to him, controlled his plane, got him to safety, and he landed. And they disappeared. And these flight tower operators, they corroborate this entire thing, man. They had people on the ground who could see the saucers bringing this plane down and helping him. You know, they put him under lie detector tests, stress tests. They all passed with flying colors. The pilot, you know, to this day has never changed one part of his story. So I don't know, man. It, it blew my mind. And the fact that, um, you know, these, these, UFOs could be a potential threat, even if they're not meaning to be. That's a little startling. That's kind of what our, you know, our government's looking at right now. What is the threat of these UFOs and um, how seriously do we have to take them? We'll talk a little bit about that because that's been kind of uh, all the rage right now, talking about kind of the government releasing a little bit more information about UFOs and kind of all actual life on other, other planets and that sort of thing. Kind of because it's been some. I remember there's there's an article in the Washington Post uh, th- three or four months ago. There's a Washington in the, uh, article in the Wall Street Journal talking about like UFO sightings, every place bird watching is the new kind of pandemic obsession. <laughs> but they're opening up the doors now. It seems, especially with that Washington Post article that came out four or five months ago. Yeah, it, it's been um, it's the years of the UFOs. We've been waiting for this forever, man. Like shouting it. From- and why not? Twenty twenty, right? Why not? <laughs> why? Yeah, you know the the world might be going to hell, but for us UFO people, it's been the best year ever. Of course, this would happen. But um, you're right, man. UFO sightings have gone up drastically, and um, I think it is because people are home and they're you know they're sick of staying inside. They're doing whatever they can to just get out. And, um, and maybe, you know, self-reflect and, uh, and, and look up again. You know, we're so caught on our phones and all that stuff all the time um, that UFO reports have gone up. Uh, as for the government's take on all this, it, I cannot tell you that nobody saw this coming, that we would find out that there was a secret Pentagon UFO program happening. I mean, we knew about Project Blue Book back in the 50s, the 60s, and then we were told that that was it. Government was done looking at this topic. It was no threat. Uh, We could explain away mostly everything, mostly everything, and uh, that was it. But then, lo and behold, Washington Post, New York Times, they leaked these Navy UFO videos that uh, got out to the public of our Navy pilots capturing UFOs on their gun cameras and the pilots being as mystified as any civilian witness would be at what they're looking at. So we now have our, the, at least the U.S. government, acknowledging the existence of UFOs, saying, yes, they are real. Uh, now the, I think the harder questions come. Who are they? Are they a rival nation? Are they alien? Are they interdimensional? Like, we don't know. And mm. uh, they're going to look at it. 
uh, within the next hundred or so days. They're putting a bill through, hopefully going to be signed by the president, who knows, uh, about creating a task force in the Pentagon to investigate UFOs. And again, you know, they're looking at this as a potential threat. If these things are coming in and out of our skies and we can't explain what they are, that is a threat, no matter what they might be. So uh, it's a new age, man. And uh, we're kind of just rolling with it, see what the government has to say. But my big thing is that's one angle to all of this. Like I said, I've interviewed hundreds of civilian witnesses, and I think those cases are just as, poor, as important as, uh, you know, all these military and Navy UFOs as well. So, yeah, it's exciting times for sure. There's, there's lots to, to discuss. Um, the one thing that you said just kind of in passing that seems interesting to me is you said it's the best year ever for UFO, you know, fanatics. And why is that? Again, um, I think it's taken 70 plus years for us to even get the U.S. government to say UFOs exist. They've denied it for so long. They, they implemented, you know, even these operations within the mainstream media to downplay it and ridicule it. Uh, and this is proven. This isn't, you know, some whacked out conspiracy theory. Um, you look at something like Project Mockingbird, where the Pentagon hired certain journalists, paid them to write certain angles to things. And uh, they did this with the UFO topic. Anytime it was reported on, they said, give it that little smirk. Give it that little tag at the end of, you know, X-Files music or whatnot. Mm -hmm. Like, let's not get the public, you know, hysterical about this. And now, again, like you, that New York Times article that came out, Washington Post, there's no talk of little green men. There's no, you know, laughing or ridiculing these people. These are the most sophisticated and, you know, trained observers in the Navy, the Air Force, saying, I don't know what it was, outmaneuvered my plane, went, you know, right. 80,000 feet down to uh, the ocean, 80,000 feet within seven seconds. So, like, what is that? If our pilots can't explain it, then is it otherworldly? Possibly. Is it some super advanced technology we don't know about? Could be, but... Uh, we're trying to figure that out. So yeah, man, 2020, year of the UFOs, government's acknowledging it. And I think the public's ready. I honestly do. You know, we, we're, we're working our way through a pandemic, uh, sometimes good, sometimes bad. But I think, uh, I think we can handle it. And I think that's the big reason they kept it silent for so long. Are you investigating any new sightings stories from this year? 2019 is my most current, right before, you know, all the lockdowns happened. I was working on a case out in Michigan where uh, this guy gave tours off of um, Lake Superior. And uh, he, there were these really cool, what he calls youper lights, this uh, term that he coined, of these rocks that literally were like illuminated. It was really cool. Um, and he, he discovered these, he got them like written in scientific journals. So people all over the world started flocking to this town to find these rocks. And uh, during one of his tours one night, him and like three other people were out over the water and uh, they see these orange orbs over the water. You know, could be anything, flares, Chinese lanterns, whatever, satellites. And they're just looking at it, kind of cool. He takes some video um, that the New York Post, I believe, released recently, his video. And um, he said that these lights, whatever they were, they would break out of formation. They would fly up to the beach, hover over these people, and then go back out to where they were. Again, could be drones or something like that, but all four witnesses that I spoke to separately uh, said that these things 
zipped over to them like within two seconds, hmm. hovered above them. One woman was hiding behind a boulder. She was terrified and um, screaming. And then they would go back out there and just hover. Um, the people on the tour were so scared, they asked the guy to uh, get them out of there. So he drives them back to town. He goes back and he's just sitting in his car, flashing his headlights at these things. And they're communicating with him. They're flashing on and off with him on and off, on and off, coming over his truck, going back out. And uh, what was most interesting about this one, Chris, is um, lasted like 50 minutes. And we don't get that really. Like usually these things are a couple minutes long maybe mm. or something, and then they disappear. But 50 minutes, he was like playing games of these things. They finally disappeared, but um, there was a ship over the water at that time. And the main witness and I were both like, huh, well, let's try to find out what ship that was. And lo and behold, we got all the logs and it's a ship that was in that area once a week. So we got in touch with them and we're like, yo, what happened that night? What the hell were those things over your ship and over the water? And they told us, we have nothing to say. And we're like, uh, okay, hmm. you know, maybe they had nothing to do with it or they didn't want to talk about it. But we thought it was interesting that they, they didn't say like, oh, no comment. They said, we have nothing to say about the incident. So we're trying to press these guys now and figure out what the heck it was. They had to have seen it. Maybe they were a part of it. Maybe not. But um, we're, st we're still trying to investigate it, man. The minute we can start traveling again and I can get out there, I want to figure out what this was because it's one of the, the, the best cases I've heard in a long time. You mentioned earlier talking about how the government wants to investigate if, if UFOs are a threat has there, is there some stories in your book where UFOs were violent threats, something you might see in a movie type of a thing? You know, I mean, there's never that typical Independence Day blowing stuff right. up, um, you know, but there are certain individuals I spoke to who worked at nuclear facilities. And this is a whole other, you know, angle to all this, too, is there is an alarming amount of UFO sightings over nuclear sites. Uh, military bases where nuclear ordinance is being held. Most famously, the 1980 Rendlesham Forest incident. We found out the U.S. was hiding nuclear ordinance under their base without Britain's knowledge uh, over there when we were over there during the Cold War. And these UFOs turned them off, man. So whatever they had under there like rendered these weapons useless. So I have a couple individuals in the book who I spoke to who also were part of events like that, where they worked at nuclear facilities. Their jobs were to, um, you know, if things got heated, be ready to press that red button. And they said that they witnessed UFOs come over there and uh, turn on or turn off these things. And again, these aren't just, you know, kooks looking to get a story out there these are people we trust with nuclear weapons mm -hmm. and the fact that they're willing to come forward and these events are documented that says something to me and it also says something that they whatever these intelligence are behind these ufos you know they could either wipe us out in an instant if they wanted to or do whatever the hell they wanted and they don't seem to be so you have to wonder Maybe they don't want to interfere if we're going back to the whole Star Trek thing, you know, mm -hmm. don't get involved. But right. I think there are times throughout history where they have gotten involved and they probably saved our asses a couple times.
Has there been, I mean, everyone always talks about Area 51 and then, you know, kind of how there was a landing and, you know, we took an alien corpse, hit it, whatever. Has there been other yeah. stories of, of, you know, U.S. military capturing aliens um, that you've heard of? Yeah, I mean, there's cases dating back to the early 1800s. I mean, wow. there's one, yeah, um, pre-Roswell. We've got uh, a case in Aurora, Texas, where a, uh, a craft of some sort crashed into a windmill in the town, you know, crashed and a being was witnessed. And uh, they said that, you know, this is a very, you know, Bible thumping town at the time, like many were back then. They cleaned up the mess, they buried the alien, and they gave it a proper Christian funeral. And what's really cool is you could still go to the town and they have like a memorial there that says, a being from another world crashed here in 18, blah, blah, blah. And uh, it's there and um, God bless it. It's one of God's creatures and uh, we will let it rest in peace. But of course, people are like, are you kidding me? We have to like dig that thing. Dig up the bones. Yeah. 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 So people have tried for decades and decades to find the exact location. Uh, The memorial is gone at this point. We don't know where it went, uh, what happened to it. And people trying to dig, but the government saying, no, you can't. Nope, it's government land. You can't do that. And I ran into that, Chris, too, uh, in Roswell. I went out to the supposed crash site with a geologist who's been out there surveying the land and found metals out there, dude, like metals under the ground, along with military buttons from the 1940s that he had dated uh, in the same area. So... We went out there and the medals that this dude found, he, they were confiscated by the BLM, the Bureau of Land Management. And they said, those are ours. We have possession of that. We don't want you out there anymore digging, blah, blah, blah. But we were able to get some of those medals before this all happened, uh, tested at an aerospace lab in California. And I'll tell you this, man, like it, it didn't come back, you know, from Zeta Reticuli or Venus or anything like that. But uh these metals, if they were from the 40s, they were more advanced and sophisticated than the metals on our most advanced aerospace stuff we have right now. So what were those metals doing back in the desert in Roswell in the 1940s? I can't tell you, but uh, crazy, man. It's crazy the amount of evidence that's actually out there that uh, people are just not willing to talk about or acknowledge because I think they're scared. I'm not saying it's little green men, but I think people are just scared of what they don't know. Well, if you're telling me that there's a, a corpse buried somewhere, you know, that got a Christian burial and all this stuff, and obviously there are some sort of a humanoid type creatures, some sort of a body attached to it. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, have you seen, have you, have you had the typical, you know, when people have encounters, are they describing them the same way that they're always described with kind of the, the heads and the big eyes and that sort of thing? Right. I mean, yeah, we have this this prototypical gray, I guess you could call it, with the big black eyes. Right. And yeah, I mean, that's a huge pattern I've come across. Uh, the book covers a lot of alien abduction uh, accounts as well. And, uh, you know, pretty controversial topic. But these people all say they saw the same things. And again, you know, I've spoken to many psychologists and um, uh, psychiatrists who have interviewed these people who claimed abductions and they are completely mentally stable people. No signs of, uh, you know, abuse or, or regressed memories of, uh, of something like that. These are people who said 
they were on some sort of craft and experimented on. And most of them describe these gray aliens. So you do have to wonder, what are they? What do they want? Are these some sort of shared collective uh, hysteria? I can't tell you. Um, I'm very on the fence when it comes to the abduction phenomenon. But I've spoken to so many people in, like I said, all walks of life, all standards of beliefs who say this happened. And they're law enforcement. They're teachers. They're doctors. Mm -hmm. These aren't like, you know, kooks in the backwoods saying these things. They weren't drunk. They weren't high. Um, So you do have to wonder. But yes, the greys are definitely the most common when it comes to uh, these creatures. But I've heard everything, man. You know, tall Nordic looking aliens, little blue guys, um, the reptilians. And, uh, you know, I say that somewhat jokingly, but who's to say? Like, I wasn't there when these events happened to these people. Maybe it is real. I can't tell you, but um, I'm going to take down their stories and I'm going to listen. And I think that's a big thing I learned from one of my mentors who I know you've spoken to in the past, and that's uh, Peter Robbins, a mm-hmm. UFO investigator. And he's my mentor. You know, we oh, meet yeah. in New York City once a month over coffee, talk UFOs, talk theater. And uh, he told me when I first got involved in this crazy stuff, man, he said, you have to have empathy uh, for these people. You know, no preconceived notions. Leave your beliefs at the door. Just hear them out and work through it. So, yeah, man, it's crazy. But that, that's good advice. I, I think that, uh, first of all, I think Peter was the very first paranormal, you know, UFO guest I ever had on Talk is Jericho. So thank him for that next time you talk to him. Mm-hmm. And second of all, my mentor, who I never met, obviously, is, it was Art Bell who provided a forum for his guests, no matter how ridiculous the story might be, you never had to feel stupid or embarrassed to, to tell it on his show. And that's the same thing I try and do on mine. You know, it doesn't matter how ridiculous people might think it is. I'll never say that. And, and as long as you can give people a place to chat and a place to kind of, um, you know, get this off their chest, you'll always have others showing up to, to give their stories. Let me uh, ask you this. When you're talking about the different abductions, when you speak to people who, are, who have been abducted, are the descriptions similar? Because you mentioned kind of the mass, the descriptions of the aliens themselves. Are the inductions, uh, abduction stories kind of the same? Yes. In terms of patterns when it comes to alien abductees, I found many. Um, how, how it's described, the events start. And a lot of times it's, you know, these people are in bed and uh, they feel like they're in some sort of dreamlike state. And maybe they are. You know, who's to say that this all is, could be some sort of dream state that these people are in? Such vivid hypnagogic hallucinations or what have you mm. happening. Could be. You know, that's very compelling. But uh, yes, there are patterns. And to me, that says either these people are influencing one another and uh, that it is that whole chicken and egg thing, you know what came first, the movies and stuff about alien abductions or the actual encounters, like what influences what? And it's messy and I don't think we'll ever truly know. But yes, for a lot of these people, it always starts where they're in bed and uh, they have this weird thing happen. Then they think they're on the craft and uh, they're being experimented on. And uh, it feels like they're almost out of body. So we're getting into territory like almost out of body experiences, near death experiences. And maybe that has something to do with it. I can't tell you, man. It's, it's crazy how much all this stuff might be connected. And we're just starting to kind of string them all together. Some weird string mm. theory with the paranormal. But 
Yes, yes, definitely patterns, definitely an alarming amount of people who have reported these things happening. And a lot of them have a lot to lose by coming forward. I mm-hmm. can tell you that much. So the fact that they are doing that and risking that tells me they don't care. Yeah. They, this happened. They want to tell someone because sometimes that's all they want. You know, if I can just be there to hear this person's story and not call them crazy like everyone else has and look at it objectively, uh, I feel like I've done at least something for them. I listen to them. And a lot of people, that's all they want. Yeah. When you're talking about people that have lots to lose, let's talk about some of the law enforcement uh, experiences. There's one really cool one, uh, Sheriff um, Val Johnson in Minnesota. In 1979? Yeah, yeah, that's a good one. Um, I, I'm trying to go back in my memory bank because I haven't looked at that one in a while. But uh, yes, Val Johnson, I believe he, uh, he was out looking for speeders. You know, it's the end of the month. He's yeah. trying to get that quota of right. tickets uh, like a lot of these sheriffs do in small towns. And uh, yeah, he, he saw these lights whip past him down the, uh, down the road and he starts pursuing it, thinks it's a car, definitely not a car. He follows these lights for a while, sees that they stopped and uh, he goes, gets out of his car and he realizes not a car, you know, these lights are hovering there. Something's down, down in the distance and it's a craft of some sort. And this was interesting. This isn't an abduction experience, but this is as close of an encounter as you can get. He, he goes up to this thing and there's beings there, humanoid beings looking um, very human-like, but they have weird suits on, clearly not, you know, your prototypical uh, uh, pilots and um, weird insignias, if I'm remembering collect- correctly on their uniforms. And instead of, you know, doing anything harmful or anything, they're like, come with us. Like, you want to check out our craft, like see what we got going on here. And they, they invite this sheriff into the craft and give him a tour. And they're showing him all these weird things inside their, <laughs> their quote-unquote UFO, you know, these star maps of where they've been, where they're going. And he's just like, what the, what the hell is going on here? Um, and he's just trying to remember everything he can about this. They show him the craft. They say... Um, you're one of the few that we're ever going to allow in here. Like you're pretty damn lucky. Uh, we got to get out of here. We got other stuff to do, but um, you're welcome. <laughs> basically. <laughs> and they boot him out. The thing takes off. And um, that's kind of it, man. And uh, I, if I'm remembering correctly, after that, he did go right to the police station, completely visibly shaken and tells one of the other deputies there, like, this just happened, and he laid it all out. And the guy believed him. He said, I've been working with this guy for decades. He's not fantasy prone. He's not crazy. He's never had any issues. Like, what the hell? And then word started getting out. Newspapers started showing up, interviewing them. Project Blue Book came out with, you know, the famous astronomer J. Allen Hynek to investigate this case. And it was one of the cases where they were completely dumbfounded. The U.S. Air Force couldn't explain it. They went out to the site to see if there was any trace evidence of this craft. Nothing. So, again, we just have this guy's story to rely on. But um, it was huge, man. This case went international. People started interviewing the guy. He, he decided he didn't want to talk about it anymore. But it ruined his life, ruined his career. 
His wife left Why, him. Why, because everyone thought he was nuts or yep. something? Or? Everyone thought he was nuts, you know? This town didn't want to be known as the UFO town with the weird sheriff. And uh, they kind of ran him out, man. His wife left him. He left. He moved somewhere Jeez. else. And it sucks. It sucks, dude. See, here, here, here's the thing about all these types of things. Like, why would somebody make this up knowing that, you know, your, your life is going to be ruined from it? You know, obviously not an attention seeker if you're a, a deputy sheriff on the police force. So Absolutely. I always wondered about that. Like you said, if it was kind of the, the you know, the kooky, kooky owl, the, the, the drunk, the town drunk, maybe he just wants to try and see if he can get some money from the local news. But if it's just kind of an average person with a lot at stake, what do you have to gain by making it up? Nothing. Absolutely nothing. And I just, I come across that with every one of these people. And in the book, Chris, I did make it very clear to people, I need to use your real name. Right. And that was a big thing because, uh, if you're going to talk about this, you need to show the world that um, it's okay to, and that you're willing to risk that. And look, I had people drop out right before the book went to publication and um, that's fine. I, I, I made it clear. I want people to embrace this topic, no matter where, how weird or crazy it is. Like we need to show the world that everyday people are experiencing this and they're willing to put their names out mm -hmm. there. And it was amazing how many of them were like, yep, let's do it. Let's do it. Again, former law enforcement, former military I have in the book. I've got one of the guys from the now famous Navy UFO Tic Tac UFO event back in 2004. What's that? Uh, that, that was um, so some of your you know, viewers or listeners might remember with those Washington Post articles and whatnot, uh, we got those videos of UFOs um, from the Navy cameras, gun camera footage. Right. And one of those was um, this white tic-tac-shaped object that uh, a Top Gun pilot was pursuing. He was sent up to try to identify whatever the hell this thing was in uh, the Pacific Ocean in California. And he's pursuing it. And this tic-tac-shaped UFO, like I said, was at 80,000 feet, dropped to the surface of the ocean, went back up to like 65,000 feet and disappeared out of sight within, I think they said, seven seconds tops and again blew this pilot's mind he could not explain what the hell it was what happened but um you know he landed he sent another pilot up they got some footage of another of these tic tacs there were multiple tic tacs up there and uh it was raining ufos is what the radar operator told me like literally hundreds of these things out there and um we got one of them on video footage it's you know racked up millions and millions of views online now. And uh, it is one of the cases uh, that the U.S. Pentagon looked at and continues to look at and probably will continue to look at when uh, this task force is created within mm -hmm. the Pentagon. So I've got a couple of those guys in the book talking about how the event affected them, what they think it was, what they think it wasn't, and how it changed their lives. And again, the more of these people coming forward, Chris, I think the more the public's going to take it seriously. Because if our Top Gun pilots don't know what the hell these things are, who does? So, yeah. You mentioned earlier that um, aliens have, have probably saved Earth and, and humans on a few occasions. Can you, can you tell me a couple examples of, of when that might have happened? Yeah. I mean, there was an event at um, Maelstrom Air Force Base, uh, if I'm remembering correctly. This is back in the 60s. Again, you'll have to forgive me with dates. I try That's to all keep right. all these in <laughs> mind, but there's so many numbers, man. Yeah. Uh, but I, I'll get it within the decade. I can tell you that much. Um, 
and this is at Maelstrom Air Force Base, and these guys were on high alert at the time over a nuclear facility, and a UFO was hovering above it, and um, it literally shut off the missiles. And uh, again, wow. you know, this could be a sign of we can do this, or it can be a sign of you shouldn't be messing with these things. So we could look at something like that, or we could go the complete other extreme and a lot of these people who have claimed contact with extraterrestrial beings or another intelligence have said they were given messages of you need to cut the shit that you're doing in the world stop polluting stop creating nuclear weapons stop fighting or your world's done and uh, we're not going to save you but we're here to at least tell you like stop like we've been through this before and it completely destroyed our civilization. That's why we're here because we need you to stop so that, mm. you know, this, that, this, that, and they're getting these messages of stop what you're doing. Stop destroying the planet. Stop fighting. Stop bickering over politics. Stop bickering over global warming. Like accept these things as facts that you are harming the world and stop doing it because we will need you at some point. So yeah, that was pretty powerful. And I heard a lot of these abductees and whatnot saying the same things over and over of quit what you're doing because you're not heading in a good direction. And, you know, I, I'm not trying to impart a message to your audience, but I think it's clear the world's in some shambles right now. And uh, maybe we need an alien intervention or maybe we just need to realize like we got to stop what we're doing. Yeah, sometimes, sometimes I wonder, you know, if it's some kind of a, a time traveling thing or something where, where they've come back from, from our world, you know, if, thousand years from now or 500 years from now and it's like hey here's your warning although who knows if you yeah. would even take it at this point in time <laughs> you know the way things are right that's a good point man i yeah yeah for sure it's interesting to me i know that from when i was in japan that that there's an order that they have to the, the military pilots have to report all ufo sightings and there's a, another story about a, a japanese american i want to make sure i get his name right ellison onizuka and he died in the space shuttle Challenger explosion, uh, which was 86, I believe it was. Yeah, around then. Yeah. Tell us about his tales and the things that he saw and what he told other astronauts. Yeah, this was an interesting one. Uh, I, I, I dug this one out of you know UFO history, and I'd never heard of it before. But yeah, Onizuka, he, um, he was being you know trained for early space space missions before Challenger. And he remembers distinctly while at NASA one time, you know, they put these guys under rigorous tests, psychological, physical, mental, everything, everything emotional. And uh, they want to test these guys uh, before they get them up there on the ships for, you know, months on end, see if they can handle it. And uh, he remembers distinctly during one training mission. And he's told this to other astronauts that, he was brought into a room with several other astronauts. They were sat down. They weren't, weren't told why they were in there or anything. They project their screen there and they just start playing this film. And uh, they're all kind of looking around like, okay, um, this is interesting. And it starts showing UFOs, like just simple things in the sky that uh, seem to have been caught by cameras, military, civilian. I couldn't tell you, but um just all these different types of craft that people had recorded. And they're laughing a little bit like, what the hell is going on here? And then it gets to um, a video, very graphic from what he described, of some sort of being on a metal slab. 
some autopsy of some sort. And the more the camera zooms in, the more they can tell whatever the thing was, it was not human. It was very slender. It was very small, skinny body, big head, black eyes. It was an alien, you know, by every definition of the word. And uh, it was being experimented on. And it, it kind of brings me back to, do you remember in the 90s, they did that alien autopsy thing? Yeah. Yeah, on Fox. That found thing scared footage. the crap out of me. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, found footage. Yep. I actually talked to the guy recently who uh, created the dummy that they used for that crazy story. Oh, but, really? uh, yeah. Yeah. I, I'll digress. Uh, it was similar to that. These astronauts were watching this thing of something otherworldly, and they couldn't explain what it was. And um, the camera zooms back, and there's a ton of them in this room on these slabs being dissected or what have you. And again, like this dude, total normal guy, extremely smart, going up in the Challenger. Like he had a lot to lose by telling people this. And he does wonder, was this some sort of psychological test? Like if these astronauts were shown bodies and UFOs and, and all this stuff, like how would that affect them? And will that affect them going up into space? Maybe. I mean, we know our government does top, you know, these weird mind things all the time on the public, on their own officers and soldiers. Who knows? Mm-hmm. Uh, but that was an interesting tale um, that we'll never know the truth to because unfortunately we lost him in the Challenger. But um, yeah, crazy story, but um, definitely one that lives in the UFO annals for sure. All right, Ryan, you were talking about astronaut Ellison Onizuka, who was killed in the Challenger explosion. But have there been other reports of things that astronauts have witnessed in space uh, or from the space station? All the time. Most famously, I would say uh, it was uh, Gordon Cooper and Edgar Mitchell, excuse me, uh, were the two top American astronauts that we know of who have seen stuff up there. Um, Even within their transmissions back to base, there were times where they said, uh, something's up here. We don't know what it is. It's not a reflection in our, you know, in the glass of the the shuttle. And we don't know what it is. And, uh, you know, Edgar Mitchell went so far as when he came back, man, it, that going into space, seeing the earth from a distance, it's got to change you Mm -hmm. for all these people, you know, existentially. And um, of course it did it for all these guys, but for him, there were things he saw up there that he has now come forward with that he said, wow, we're not alone. We are most definitely not alone. And he went so far as to like create an institution when he got back to look into this topic of UFOs and what does consciousness have to do with all this and how we perceive things, this, that. Um, some people think he went off the deep end, but others think, wow, he saw something up there that completely changed him and led him on this path. And again, these guys have so much to lose by saying this stuff, but there are time after time that astronauts have come back and said, yep, we saw stuff up there, hmm. anomalous things. Some have even claimed when they got to the moon, there was already stuff there. Wasn't ours. What hmm. was it? We might never know, man, until we uh, get to that dark side of the moon. Who knows? But uh, yeah, it, it's easy to get conspiracy theory with it. But again, when the astronauts are saying these things, we have to take that somehow that uh, we're definitely not alone. It would seem to me that if you, you know, if you're standing in your front yard and you see a UFO in the sky, it's kind of weird, you know, just go in your house and, and 
call the cops or whatever. But if you're actually in orbit and the UFO is like right out there with you, it seems to be a little bit like it'd be like swimming in the ocean next to a shark. You're kind of like, right. we, we might be screwed here, right? <laughs> what do we do? And you have to wonder, do they have protocol for stuff like this? Right. Like, what if they get up there and there is something there? Like, what do you do? Mm-hmm. And, uh, you know, you brought up, you know, um, the time traveling thing. I always go back to Arrival, that movie that came out. And uh, when those craft landed on the earth, you know, the people on the news were saying, the government has protocol for this. Don't freak out. We'll, we'll figure it out. And when I first heard that, I'm like, huh, is, is that true? Is there protocol for situations like this? And I did come across several instances where back in the 50s, uh, the military had specific protocol for if a UFO landed, you know, on the White House lawn or um, really? in the desert yeah. somewhere. Yeah. And how do we deal with it as Americans as opposed to other countries? And how do we bring the nations together to deal with this new thing? So it's pretty interesting. Yeah. Um, I believe it was in the 70s when it was finally made public that the, the military had protocol for stuff like this. NASA, that's another story. It meaning? Uh, who knows? You know, right. they might know a lot more than our military does. The, the big thing I think too, Chris, is private space exploration. That's a whole other ballgame. You got, you know, Elon Musk up there sending millions of satellites now and trying to go to Mars and no restrictions when it comes to uh, government funding like NASA does. So I'm looking forward to a lot of these private space companies are doing and what they might discover up there. Cause we always looked to NASA for that stuff. Mm-hmm. You know, when we got that Venus announcement, point. you know, we, we take their word for everything, but which now, announcement was that you mentioned? What, what announcement? Oh, sorry. Yeah. That was, um, Did you say Venus. Yes. Venus. Um, they discovered possible signatures of life within oh. the atmosphere of Venus. So again, man, this, it made national headlines, but in this world today, it just seems to be glossed over like everything else. Mm-hmm. You know, we have such short attention spans and, and more immediate things to worry about than possible life on Venus. I understand. But now um, what kind of life do you mean when you're saying life, you're not saying they saw like, you know, you know, aliens creating their own houses or whatever. What kind of life are they discovering? Yeah. I mean, we're talking the most microbial you can get when it comes to this stuff but um it's huge we venus was never a planet that any of our astronomers looked at for life um they said probably the one of the last ones that could harbor life according to our standards and our composition and makeup as earthlings just too hot to be honest it's it's an inferno there Mm -hmm. uh but we found signatures of it within the clouds within the atmosphere of the planet so that completely changes everything. It changes our science. It changes, you know, all these equations that we've thought for years of this is the statistics of life within our galaxy. We never thought it was possible, but now we might have it and it's not too far away and we could possibly go there to figure it out. So it's really exciting. You know, it's very early stages, but um, who knows, man, who knows? But again, NASA... Their budgets have not been that good in the past few decades, so they haven't been able to do a lot. But Elon Musk has endless amounts of money to do this stuff. So if these billionaires are going to pump their money into exploring uh, space and the cosmos, I'm all for it. I'm all for it. I think we're going to find more than we ever have 
with NASA. So, yeah. See, I'm one of those guys that, that doesn't believe – I shouldn't say that I don't believe we were at the moon, but I find it very puzzling that we went to the moon in 1969 or 1970 and haven't been back since. That makes no sense to me whatsoever. You know, and that's what I'm wondering, like, was was the whole conspiracy that we never even went to the moon a possibility? Like, because if not, like, look at look at your cell phone. Look how much that's advanced in the last, you know, year, two years. Wouldn't the, you know, the, the equipment that took him to the moon 50 years ago also advanced to where you could get there in half the time? Really good point. I mean, a lot of people do think our phones came from uh, alien tech from Roswell. <laughs> I can't tell you how many times I've heard that one. It's possible, man. I mean, <laughs> you never know. it's amazing. It's amazing the, uh, the technological leaps, as you mentioned, that we made after 47, when that Roswell crash happened. We got fiber optics. We got lasers. We got some of the most advanced things within like the span of a couple years that we hadn't had in centuries. And it was amazing. So you do have to wonder, uh, but like you said, you know, I, I am a firm believer we did go to the moon. I, I do believe that whether or not the video we have, which is, I think, what a lot of people use to debate right. that, if that was the actual footage of them on the moon, I can't tell you. I, I mean, I've heard convincing evidence to the contrary, but, um, you know, you, you look at this, that one guy who went up to, I think it was Buzz Aldrin, yeah. told him, you never went to the moon, and he just you know, knocked him, him face, out yeah. right then and there. <laughs> said, how dare you? How dare you? So, you know, I'm going to give our astronauts credit that they risked their lives. They went there. But who's to say that, um, you know, why? You make a really good point of why haven't we been back since? Mm -hmm. And the, the argument has always been money, like as it usually is. It's money. We couldn't afford to get back there, this, that, blah, blah, blah. Uh, but you do have to wonder, too, did they get there and uh, have some warning sign of, ooh, maybe we shouldn't. Maybe we should not be going back. That's another thing too, right? Yeah. Yeah. Last few questions for you. What's your favorite story in the book that we haven't touched upon yet? Is there some, something else in, in there that you really uh, felt interesting? Yeah. I mean, I definitely have those gems. Um, the one I told you about the drive-in movie theater is definitely one of my favorites. But uh, I'll, I'll leave you with this one because it's kind of got everything compact into one story, which is really cool. I'll breeze through it. So MUFON, do you know the Mutual UFO Network, Chris? No, what is it? It's a civilian-run organization that will literally go out and investigate UFO cases. You know, so it's not hampered by the government or the Pentagon, nothing like that. You have a UFO sighting in your town, like there is a chapter of MUFON that will go out and investigate. M-U-F-O-N. Yep, exactly. Okay. Yep. Yep. So they're kind of like a rapid response team. Like something's happening. They're going to try to get out there as quick as they can, you know, and nab that UFO. And I give them credit, man. They are passionate. Um, they're awesome. And uh, this case happened uh, in 2010. So pretty recent. This dude in Tennessee said these triangular craft were hovering over this field on his farm. And they were there for days and days. And he was freaking out. And he was kind of like a celebrity in this small town. So he didn't want a lot of people knowing, but he didn't know what to do. So he contacted MUFON. They sent some of their local people out there and they got there that night after he had reported these things. And he was like as white as a ghost, just super scared. He didn't know what was going on. And there was like just a couple handshakes and they went out into this, uh, this field this cornfield that he owned to try to see what they could find. They bring all their, you know, EMF readers, all this cool tech out there to try to see if they can find any signatures of stuff and all their equipment failed. So it's like, 
it's kind of like a paranormal investigation. You hear mm. all the batteries get drained and all that. Um, that's what happened. But immediately when that happened, Chris, they saw lights fly over the cornfield. They saw two triangular craft hover above them and disappear. And they're just like, oh, what is going on here? It's like an invasion of this, this cornfield, like signs almost. And um, they're like, all right, this is really weird. And then the investigators, two MUFON investigators and the prime witness, they all had this feeling at the same time of immediate threat. They couldn't describe it. They couldn't really understand it, but they all felt like we got to get out of here. And all together, without saying anything, they all start just jetting out of the cornfield back towards his farmhouse, um, full speed. And the, the one investigator, she remembers the prime witness was right in front of her. They're running, they're sprinting. And all of a sudden she just slams into the back of him. He stopped out of nowhere. And, you know, she kind of, you know, gets her bearings and all the dude said was, what the fuck was that? And she's <laughs> like, what? And she looks over his shoulder and right in front of them was in the field, a being four feet tall, gray, big black eyes staring at them. Mm. And for only a couple of seconds, Chris, they saw this thing and then boom, it just disappeared. And they run again, they get out of there, they get into their truck, they drive back to the farmhouse and they just stood there and dumbfounded. They went out there to investigate like a couple lights in the sky and now a gray alien was wow. like in front of them, staring at them. And they didn't know what to do. Like these investigators, like it's their job to explain away things. They're not there to tell you, yeah, you saw aliens. They're mm -hmm. there to give you a, an explanation. And they just stood there shaking their heads like, what the hell? And um, they sent people out there for weeks after that to continue investigating. And there just kept being activity out there, man, up until today. I mean, this guy, he's, um, like I said, he's kind of a celebrity in this town. Now everyone knows. And now he can't, like, deny it anymore. He's living in this weird field and laboratory of weirdness, like Skinwalker Ranch style or something. I don't know, man. It's, it's crazy. <laughs> That's crazy for sure, man. Yeah. <laughs> you had some uh, – uh, what, a, what a great group of stories you had. The book is called Somewhere in the Skies – and um, the show is called Mysteries Decoded. Uh, are you guys planning on doing another season of Mysteries? Absolutely. Yeah, we, um, we were mid-filming when the lockdown happened. So again, once things get a little more stable, gotcha. we're getting back out there. You know, I've been to Roswell. I've been to Area 51, the gates of Area 51, I yeah. should say. Um, but we've got some episodes coming up that I think are really going to, uh, you know, break it wide open on some really weird stuff going on across America. And uh, I can't wait to get out back out there, man, and investigate. That's what I love doing. You know, I hate... I hate like sitting down on the computer and looking at this UFO stuff. It only gets you so far. I want to be out there, boots on the ground, seeing that thing in the sky or, you know, that being in the cornfield. Right, 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 so, right, right, right. Yeah, well, for sure. Never stop. It's great stuff, Ryan. And once again, uh, there's a lot more that we can discuss. We can do that on other shows, just discussing Mysteries Dakota, because I was looking at some of the topics that you have on that show as well. But a lot to think about here. Once again, somewhere in the skies, uh, is the book and I'm sure we'll be getting a chance to talk with you again soon, man. 
Absolutely. Thank you, Chris. You know, man, huge fan. I don't have to tell you. Yeah, I told a couple you. people I was talking to you today and they dropped their phones. So <laughs> no, it was my pleasure, my honor. And uh, keep looking up, brother. And those aren't phones. They dropped their pieces of alien technology taken from Roswell. <laughs> uh, we bookended it, brother. I yeah. love it. Bringing it back. <laughs> Call back. Thanks, dude. Take care. <laughs>